Hi everyone, this is Riley. Couple quick announcements before this episode. First off being we do record these episodes in advance and we have some that are banked. But in this point in time in the new year, 2023, we did drop our first episode onto um, Apple Podcasts as well as anywhere else podcasts are found. Um, If you're listening to this, therefore you found this podcast in some way, shape, or form. Just know that in um, our timeline of episodes, this is episode 22, then our first podcast actually dropped. So that's very exciting. Unfortunately, the second announcement is not as exciting, um, and that is our mothership website, as we like to call it, fishwaterandtravel.com, over the new year got hacked. And pretty unfortunate, we have tried fixing ourselves, working with the platform company that we, we hosted on to help us fix it. And their solution was to get a company to um, fix it for us, which would cost hundreds of dollars. And that website being, uh, at this point in time at least, you know, a free type of thing that we're doing, we just couldn't afford to do that. So unfortunately, fishwaterandtravel.com is no more. Uh, However, we were able to get into the website while this was happening uh, a couple times to remove the, the article's and videos that we had posted there and transfer that to a new platform. So wanted to announce that the articles that are associated with the this podcast um, can now be found on substack.com. Specifically, if you're looking for a URL to get there, it's freshwaterperspectives.substack.com, all one word. And again, that's where our articles and videos are going to live there. So at least we're happy to save all that information and put it somewhere else. And the last quick announcement before the episode is that this episode has a lot of lagginess. Unfortunately, our internet connection was very poor, and we definitely want to apologize off the top for this. Uh, Hopefully you can bear with us and still find this podcast of value. So thanks for listening. Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're going to be talking about the decline of great salty lakes. So stay tuned. And we're back, Matt. Riley. It's been a while. It has. You while. you went on your honeymoon, my friend. I went to a different continent, and it was amazing. Want me to tell you water-related things? Uh, I want to hear I everything. Well, first, so slightly topical. Okay. Did was there any mention of like the the water issues in France? I did not see it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I did walk. Along the river, the River Seine, I think it is, and uh, it's water-related. It's so interesting to like, see those, I mean, fully developed for mm. multiple hundreds of years type of town, and it, I mean, like, their their, their waterways are so channelized. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting. <laughs> um, a little little dirty, um, Paris was. I mean, it's just so big. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a massive city. Um, I mean... It's like New York, right? <laughs> That's how New, I New York isn't the cleanest of cities. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I uh, just got me thinking about like all the the sewer, especially in Paris, mm, was mm-hmm. like how much how much sewer must be going and like their um, their their canal systems or sewer systems. And, like I, those are 
down the rabbit hole. I didn't have internet while I was there, so I went uh... back to the old old school. Um, baguettes in Paris. Mm. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. We went and it was Christmas, so we really go to restaurants per se because everything was closed. We stayed in like a oh. we stayed in like a residential area, and um, pretty interesting. Some stuff was closed <clears throat> at McDonald's for one meal because nothing was there. <laughs> um, they had like a Mick Mick baguette. <laughs> Nice, dude. The golden like arches come on a baguette. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, okay, baguette though was oh my gosh. Oh, I bet. Um, <laughs> the food was pretty good. I just love the idea. This reminds and, me um, whenever Rachel and I go on, like we just go somewhere else. Like I don't know if we're visiting a new town mm-hmm. for a wedding or something, or just going to go visit somebody. We always try to go to a different yep. restaurant, and we're not just like, oh, there's Chick Fil A mm-hmm. here. Let's just go to Chick Fil A. And you're like, we're all we're all the way in France. What a culinary epicenter. And you're like, no, let's just go to McDonald's. Not your fault, I guess. We we fun. literally walked around. I know, <laughs> around that night, and it was yeah Christmas, and we're like nothing is open. We should have thought about it, because um, yeah, we were in like more of a residential, mm-hmm. and um, we did find cafes. Coffee is some yeah, some good coffee. Are you a coffee I know, drinker yet? I'm not a coffee drinker. I know I know you're a big coffee drinker though. Come on, the whole that was the highlight was the coffee in the different countries. Then we went to Munich next. Munich was phenomenal. Um, the beer hall, oh, mm. so good. Beer halls. <laughs> I think I, I'm not fully, uh, but like my my, oh, a part of mine is Germany, mm-hmm. uh, German, and um, I was I was like, this is my people. Like, <laughs> the beer halls were great. So good. We okay. went to Salzburg too, Austria. Ooh. Yeah, that was probably my favorite. Yeah, oh. mm-hmm. we went to like a castle from the 12th century that's awesome i'm a huge history buff. Cool. that sounds great i know and then like i was like i wish where i lived there was something that like that historical mm-hmm. and let me preface that i know there's native american tribes right like mm-hmm. just the the structures that is what i'm like trying mm-hmm. to get at like your normal normal town but right there oh me of something that historical is just mm-hmm. just wild and then uh we went to rome as well mm-hmm. and Colosseum. The Vatican was crazy. The Vatican was like we saw the bones of Saint Peter. Oh, and I don't know for some reason. Huh. No, and there's they have mummified popes, and it was huh. yeah. that amount of history. Yeah, that's literally wild. blew my mind. I don't know for some reason, like the Colosseum, it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. But just going to the um, going to the like Basilica, the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Um, <laughs> you didn't you didn't pull Dude, out your oh you didn't pull out your italian no, to no. english dictionary and try to you know try to ask no. people some questions <laughs> we since we went to yeah four countries we didn't even i felt so bad. Like, we we did as much as we could like mm-hmm. try to figure out like phrases to order but mm-hmm. we were just like the sprechen the english you know like german like do yeah. you speak english because we just didn't have enough time. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. So most people spoke English, but I definitely okay. felt like a, an American, um, I guess just an American, like snooty one. I was like, yeah. you speak English. Like I can't, or I was like pointing. I was like, I want croissant. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, but Matt, your people, we went to uh, the Italians. You know, there's one story I had to, I just, gonna like okay we we went to we went to rome like i said but like we went to uh 
kind of a residential area again because there's this one supposedly the best pizza in the world, hmm. bon, like a Bonchi. Hmm. One of the best pizzas in the world. And we got in line and they it was like a deli type of style mm-hmm. okay and um we we had pasta in rome as well and we had yeah it's fine but like, like i'm not a big people <laughs> understand like i'm not a big like a, i just don't get italian too much like mm. going out and i was like yeah like this is this is the it, huh like that's what wow that's blasphemous <laughs> absolutely blasphemous wait 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 everyone Please, everyone, stick with me. So we went to the Bonchi place. Okay. And we were like number 97. And we, they were calling out, they were in 40, number 40. Okay. And it took about three to seven minutes per number. I was keeping track. Oh, wow. And like I was doing, I was doing the numbers in my head and I was like, we're going to be here forever. And I, I was getting hangry. And I was like, Uh-oh. <laughs> so we just, we're like, let's just. Let's go. We're not. We're not even gonna deal with this. Mm-hmm. So we went to just a random place. Mm-hmm. A random like it, it said Roman food. So that's, there's a difference between Italian and Roman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got oh Sam got carbonara. Oh, because because you love it, man, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, carbonara. well, I'm gonna get something else, and I got. Not the name of it. Something Comb Pepe. So it's like Parmesan pepper. Is it? And, um, was it Cacio e Pepe? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That, go. Um, <laughs> but this one had zucchini too. Zucchini oh. flowers in it. Okay. Oh, Matt. I I have seen the light. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Like I was like, wow. Like it it hit every senses, and mm-hmm. I was like, this this is. <laughs> Italian food. <laughs> this is it. And it was because it was in a residential area, it was so cheap. It was like six bucks. Yeah. And then like we got a a steak guy that we split, Sam and I did for like seventeen dollars or something. Wow. I know. And then we got wine. Nice. Yeah. I think you, you have to get wine. <laughs> you have to get wine. <laughs> wine yeah. in Rome. But um <laughs> Then to to finish up on the story though, we had the best pizza in the world, quote unquote. Um, we got back in line, so we went back. Sam was like, "We should just go back to this pizza place and see um, how much is left." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Did you see how much pasta I ate? This is ridiculous." But I was like, <laughs> "When in Rome, <laughs> why not? When in literal Rome, Matt?" So we went back in line, and they're at number. We were ninety-seven. I think they were at number ninety-three. And I was like, "Yes." Um, I turned and we we asked one person like what number they're at, and it happened to be from Boston. Two individuals, and I was like, they were they were number they were like well into the upper hundreds. Mm-hmm. I was like, you, but you could take our ticket because we just ate. But like, can I just buy a slice of pizza off of you? And they're like, oh, we'll just give you free pizza oh, because wow. we saved them for. And um. The best pizza in the world. First off, the Roman pizza it was it was different than like American pizza, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. like a pizza, mm-hmm. so there wasn't red sauce, but it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Best pizza in the world? I don't know. Oof. I don't know about best pizza. <laughs> the I will say their crust was probably one of the best crusts I've had. So I think that Ooh, okay. was was the crust. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying, man. That can make or break a pizza. Mm-hmm. 
your break. I know. Uh, so did you guys take I a know. train from city to yeah. city? Oh, oh, you said no plane. Oh, That's so great. we 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 flew. We oh, flew. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. We flew from because just for the sake of time, it was yeah. a lot packed in a couple days. I wish we could have oh, took yeah. the trains. We took the trains to Munich to Salzburg because oh. it was like yeah hour forty five. Mm-hmm. Got kicked off the train because we didn't have masks. Oh. Dumb um, there's, Americans. There's three train systems. Whoa, okay. Again, wait. There's three <laughs> train systems we found out in Germany. One that's like this this uh, higher-end one where you need masks. Okay. Um, this other one that lower end, you don't need masks. Mm-hmm. And the third one, with masks are optional. Mm. I was like, Ugh. So the guy we were talking to me, he's like, yes, tourists do not understand this. I was like, well, where is this information? Because <laughs> everything I just saw was, was highly encouraged to mm-hmm. wear and we we had masks for the planes, but so I was like, it's an hour trainment system. Like we're just not gonna. We didn't even think about it. There was no mm-hmm. like um, to bring one or not. And then yeah, so we got kicked off. And yeah, I have you got like yelled at in German, like a <laughs> like a. It was a two two women. One was like, "Do you have your masks?" And we're like, "No." And they're like, they literally rolled their eyes, <laughs> like. If you don't have masks, you must leave train. And I was like, what? Where are we? So we were just in a random German town. Uh, um, this is this is like anyways. my biggest fear for going for going overseas is like just being a huge burden and being an obvious just dumb tourist. Uh, I hate that. That feeling. was that was our dumb tourist moment. Oh no. <laughs> the thing was was this was the train where you needed masks. Apparently, mm-hmm. no one had masks on. Oh. We were we were midway through the the train and then these people came. Everybody put on their masks. It's like ugh. oh, so like the cops so it wasn't came. like it wasn't even <laughs> yeah. That's so it was yeah. The hall monitor came by. If everybody was wearing masks because we were sitting there for twenty minutes until like the the train left. Mm-hmm. Everyone had a mask on. I would have been like, okay, we need to go get a mask. But just all everyone had masks on. We're looking around. We're like, oh, for God's sakes! Like so, yeah, we were the dumb american tourists how about you how you doing all right everyone i mean uh let's just see i mean the christmas break was was pretty pretty boring i would say for the most part i did not fly back to jersey this year um i i kind of just hung around got some work done in the labs since no one was there which was fantastic then went over to Georgia to hang out with my mom's side of the Sometimes family. Sometimes it's the best. Yeah, I got so much work done. It was fantastic. So I hung out with my mom's side of the family. And then yeah. after that kind of weird period between Christmas and New Year's, I kind of hung around the house. I got a ton of chores done that I just wanted to get done. So my fiance and I have a rabbit. And being a rabbit, it's just chewed up a lot of like furniture and like the moldings around the apartment. So I got wood putty and I just fixed everything. Oh, it felt so great. <laughs> <laughs> so the apartment, oh, the apartment looks brand new now. It's fantastic. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll get you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they already. It's already like a four hundred dollar non refundable deposit for the pet on top of our seven hundred and fifty dollar deposit. So I'm gonna be be pretty peeved yeah. if we don't get our original deposit back, but. Other than that, I mean, it's just back to work, yeah. man. You know, <laughs> just just getting back to it. I yeah. am I'm TAing this semester, so I gotta kind of 
get back into that groove a little bit. So just getting ready to, to teach a little bit this semester. So yeah, should be should be another fun and busy one. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in, I mean, very nice. Yeah. So if we can try to get back on track with the podcast here, you know, I'm sure. But sorry. So, <laughs> no, I mean this is. I mean, it, like you said, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded. So I mean, it's it was inevitable we were going to have to catch up a little bit but so i've been doing a lot of i like to do a lot of this kind of current events reading and the washington post is reporting that the great salt lake in utah is projected to go completely dry by 2028 according to projections from a research team out of brigham young university which is not great 2028 yeah that's that's very soon so Mm-hmm. For anyone unaware, wow. <laughs> the Great Salt Lake is the largest saltwater lake in the Western Hemisphere. It's also the eighth largest lake in the world with no outlet. And just for any historical buffs out there, the Great Salt Lake is a remnant of the massive water body from the Pleistocene era called Lake Bonneville that measured roughly 20,000 square miles, or about the size of Vermont and New Hampshire combined. So, yeah, just a little food for thought there. Huh. Yeah, but the BYU... Pontiac, research... is that where Pontiac got their name? Oh, maybe. I have no idea Pontiac where they got the... yeah, No idea where they got the name. I knew that name sounded familiar, but I couldn't think of why. <laughs> that There's also... Uh, the Bonneville Dam is in Oregon. Oregon, okay. So I like it. I like, I like the real-time fact-checking southwest. Yeah, okay. Yep. So that's great. But the BYU research team published an article that concluded that a combination of drought and unsustainable water use upstream of the Great Salt Lake have shrunk it to 37% of its original volume. And since 2020, the lake has lost roughly 40 billion gallons of water annually. And the researchers claim that the state of Utah would need to reduce water consumption by a third, which would then allow 2.5 million acre-feet of water to flow into the lake annually to help refill it. So, a lot going on there. Not sure how realistic, uh, you know, decreasing your water consumption by a third is, so they have a lot to think about. And the reason this is kind of being considered a total crisis and kind of on red alert right now goes beyond the tourism that would be lost if the lake were to go dry. A separate research team from the University of Utah has been studying the dust that is being kept up, kicked up as the lake shrinks, and their findings are pretty worrying. So the briny dust contains high concentrations of contaminants that can quickly corrode valuable infrastructure and potentially cause long-term respiratory issues if inhaled. Throughout its history, the Great Salt Lake has been used as a mineral extraction site, brine shrimp hatchery hub, and recreational tourist attraction, and also as a resting area for migratory birds. State officials are currently scrambling to come up with ideas to prevent the situation from getting worse, but nothing has been officially enacted or announced. So everything's kind of in a holding pattern, and everyone seems like they're saying the right things if you're looking at news articles, but nothing is really actually being done, unfortunately. So, brine shrimp. Mm -hmm. I remembered brine shrimp. Mm -hmm. They're a major hatchery. Which is so interesting in in the Salt Lake. Yeah. But you said reduce. You said this. I missed it. Mm-hmm. Reduce consumption by a third. Mm-hmm. 
So are they are they using are they like desalinating it for drinker or what are they using it for? So they're using the water so they're using the waters upstream in the inlets, so the rivers that flow into the Great Salt Lake, they're using that fresh water mm. before it gets into the lake. I see. So the lake is receiving less okay. water every year. Does that make sense? Does I thought they were using, and people use salt water for certain things. Oh, yeah, but for they sure. Were using specifically the salt water. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. it was either yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about another big salty lake uh, later on in this podcast, and. I got. I may have gotten stuff a little mixed up, but I'm not oh. going to talk about this anyway. But um, the thing no, that is, well, as far as desalination, Berkshire Hathaway has a whole like energy kind of division, apparently, which I guess isn't too surprising considering the size of that corporation. And they have a bunch of desalination plants, mm-hmm. and I think they have one on or near the Great Salt Lake. And there was talks about desalinating it, but I think that would just make the problem worse, obviously. But anywho. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Berkshire. Huh. I think most of Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway, huh? Yeah, I think most of their desalination plants are in California, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't. What? I just read that was like one no, line in the. Yeah. The... <laughs> that was one line in one Why? article I was reading. Why? But yeah, so this this whole huh. situation going on at the Great Salt Lake reminded me of a eerily similar one that happened and is still happening at the Salton Sea. Uh, one of my undergrad professors was absolutely obsessed with the Salton Sea, so I happen to have a ton of knowledge stored up on it. And today we're going to shed some light on the Salton Sea history, formation, how it became a bustling hotspot for Americans to have a lake house, and its almost inevitable and potentially foreshadowing demise that the Great Salt Lake may be replaying as we speak. So you ever heard of the Salton Sea, Riley? I'm literally I'm literally googling it right now because I have no idea. Like, <laughs> oh, you never heard of the like, Salton Sea, really? Is this is this in is this in Jersey? <laughs> no, it's in California. It is a massive <laughs> inland. I mean, it's called the Salton Sea because it was like a giant, massive inland salt lake. What are we talking about? Okay, this is great. So you're you're gonna be learning right along everyone else. I, I love I, these episodes. When this clueless, happens. fantastic. So, as I like to do, <laughs> I, I like to kind of start in the beginning with these things. So I'm going to try to summarize how the Salton Sea was formed and why there is slash was a giant saltwater lake in Southern California. So the Salton Sea history and formation is closely connected with the terminus of the Colorado River. So wherever the Colorado River is flowing dictates whether or not the Salton Sea actually is filled or not. And over the past three million years, the Colorado River alternated between terminating into the Salton Sea and the Gulf of California thus making the lake fluctuate between a giant freshwater lake that was six times the size of the Salton Sea today and a dry or nearly dry basin. Researchers suggest that the Salton Sea was filled by the Colorado River three or four times in the past 1,300 years, giving you an idea of the frequency of the hundreds or thousands of times that the lake was filled and dried in the past few million years. To the Salton Sea, Mm -hmm. the Colorado River does. And where else did you say? The Bay of... The... Gulf of California. Where, where else is it? Yeah, so you know, so if you're following California, California down, you eventually cross into Mexico and Baja California. So between Baja California and mainland Mexico, mm-hmm. there's this gulf that, that runs between the two uh, land masses, and that's mm-hmm. the Gulf of California. So the sea's more somewhat yeah. recent history yeah, includes yeah, yeah. being a home to the native Cahuilla people. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. The native Cahuilla people of the 17th century until the lake dried up around the beginning of the 18th century. 
Uh, the area had been documented in several different surveys and had been labeled as the Cahuilla Valley, the Cabazon Valley, the Colorado Desert, and Salt Creek, depending on who was doing the surveying. And it wasn't until around the 1870s that Western settlers came to the area and used it for a major salt mining operation. Again, not maybe not too surprising considering it's called the Salton Sea. So a lot, a lot of salt in the area. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to fast forward to 1900 when California Governor James Budd and the California Development Company decide to construct irrigation canals to divert the Colorado River to the Salton Sea region with the idea that the surrounding area would become fertile agricultural land. So during this time, flood irrigation was a really popular method to water massive crops. So you would just kind of spread a crap ton of water all over your crops, and then whatever just didn't get absorbed into the soil will just flow downhill. And the idea would be that the Salton Sea would be serve as kind of essentially a leftover water dump for water that came from the Colorado River, which was first spread over the crops and then would just wash down into the Salton Sea. And it wasn't that cut and dry in the beginning, though, as apparently all the silt and clay that the Colorado River carries with it was filling the canals and clogging irrigation lines. So I thought it was actually kind of interesting that they diverted the Colorado River when it's like, if you kind of look at it on its surface, it's like, oh, you're just diverting an entire river. When you're like, oh, depending on when you look at it, it's kind of, it would have done it by itself anyway. But anywho, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Question. Yeah. So the the, the Salton Sea, mm-hmm. the so the Salton Sea, um, in comparison to seawater, mm-hmm. what how salty is it? More so, more salty. It depends on when, like how full you're talking about, and we'll kind of get to that later. But mm-hmm. in its original state, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as salty as the as the I, I would say it was more brackish. So it's saltier than freshwater, not as salty as as ocean water. Does that make sense? Cool. Yes. So, like I mentioned previously, the Salton Sea Basin is absolutely massive, and it seems like the state of California didn't really do any planning when they thought of this project, because as the sea filled, the entire town of Salton, a section of the Southern Pacific Railroad, the entire new Liverpool Salt Company facility, and the native Torres Martinez land were completely flooded. The poor planning and lack of outlet led to the formation of today's Salted Sea. So the state of California knew they wanted to divert the Colorado River, and they knew that they wanted to use the water for cropland. They knew that water would have to go somewhere. They, I don't know if they knew that the Salton Sea was a giant basin. Maybe they just thought it was a much smaller basin. Either way, they didn't plan an outlet, so they definitely didn't thought they didn't think of what was going to happen after the water was spread over the crops. So if we fast forward a little bit more into the 1920s, the area surrounding the Salton Sea had become a booming agricultural hub thanks to the roaring waters of the Colorado River, as I previously mentioned. And in case you're wondering about any water disputes that would be arising around this time, seeing as the state of California diverted an entire river, potentially spurning a water war like what's occurring in Los Angeles around this time, which we also covered in a previous episode, you don't have to worry. So according to the Doctrine of Appropriation, which essentially claims that whoever puts water to what is deemed a, quote, beneficial use may continue to claim it, uh, the Salton Sea water rights were legitimate in the eyes of the law. So apparently the Colorado River wasn't going to any good use uh, 
prior to it being diverted into the Salted Sea. So those worlds are so interesting. <laughs> that area vary so much. And yeah. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. But okay. Yeah. So a lot, a lot's going on pretty quickly at this time. So the basin also quickly became an ecological hotspot with wildlife refuge being declared on a wetland in 1930 along the edge of the lake that was frequented by migratory birds, making it a popular bird watching destination in what would otherwise be an inhospitable desert. So it became a, it started to kind of attract attention. And once the Hoover Dam and Imperial Dam were completed by 1938, the water reaching the Salton Sea ran relatively clear, which only increased the popularity and the quality of the water for irrigation. And by the 1960s, the area was a certifiable hotspot with full-fledged resorts, sport fishing outfits, drawing in hundreds of thousands to the area, including the Beach Boys, Bing Crosby, and my personal favorite, Frank Sinatra, who all performed at the resorts on the sea's shores. And by the late 1960s, the area attracted 1.5 million people annually at its peak. This was one of America's most attractive cities. In the Salton Sea. Yeah, I'd never mm-hmm. heard of it. Yeah, you never Frank, heard of this, huh? This is... Frank can bring in a crowd, okay? Mm-hmm. No. But yeah, this I is like... I like Bing a... Crosby. White mm-hmm. Christmas, can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, a, this was like, a, like I said, a certifiable hotspot in Southern California. A, essentially like a beach town. In, like an inland beach town is kind of what it was. You know, there were full neighborhoods being constructed. Like I said, resorts. I mean, this this was this was the place to be in Southern California right now. Yeah. And nice. just as quickly as the area was drawing millions, and it seemed nothing could stop the meteoric rise, disastrous reports began to surface. So the findings of long-term limnological studies that began in the early 1960s began to be published in the 1970s. Scientists around the country had long forewarned the issues of a lake with no outlet, that the lake would just accumulate dissolved salts and become saltier and saltier as the years progressed. The previously mentioned studies reported a complex series of issues that spelt doom for the area. It all starts with the diverted water from the Colorado River, which is already rich with dissolved salts at relatively harmless concentrations. This water is spread over cropland that permeates through the soil. Any water not taken up by plants leaches into the salt-rich water table and is drained into the lake. Evaporation on the lake itself was only further concentrating the salts in the lake, making the problem worse. Now, this all came to a head in the late 1970s as salt concentrations were beginning to reach lethal levels leading to massive fish kills and bird die-offs as migratory waterfowl were being poisoned by the salt-rich water they were drinking. The problem then became untenable in 1976 when Hurricane Kathleen completely flooded the resorts, lake houses, and residential neighborhoods around the sea. The area was practically abandoned overnight as a result. And the state of California soon began issuing odor warnings to anyone still living around the lake as all of the dead animals caused the lake to constantly give off a putrid stench. Yeah. So imagine an odor warning from the state of California for your neighborhood. Uh, yeah. And this... Did you see that the birds died? Mm-hmm. I think it was... So we'll... You know what I'm so saying? There's a much larger die-off that occurs that is explained a lot better 
but a lot of the bird deaths in the 1970s and 80s weren't really explained. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I would imagine it's partly yeah. dehydration. I don't know. There were really high concentrations of selenium mm-hmm. in the lake, which is which is toxic in high concentrations. But there weren't any. There weren't at least what I could hmm. find. There weren't a lot of reports on what exactly killed the birds. So, yeah. All right. Now mm-hmm. this all continued for almost two decades without any sign or intent for remediation from the state of California. Meanwhile, the lake was only getting worse, and massive algal blooms started happening in the lake in the 1990s due to the high amounts of nutrients in the water from agricultural runoff. And during one four-month span, 14,000 birds, 10,000 of which being pelicans, died in a massive botulism outbreak after consuming the decaying fish that littered the lake shores. So that was well-documented because it was so many birds, and that they did confirm was botulism. Mm -hmm. So that one... You could probably crazy. Yeah. You could probably surmise that similar outbreaks are what killed the birds previously, but you know, that's that's not for me to say. But so yeah, this is hmm. for me at this point, it's just crazy how quickly it all happened. So the Salton Sea was at its peak for what? Ten, twenty years ish. And then once the nineteen seventies hit, it's like a light bulb or a light switch turns and just everything just goes to hell super quickly. And then the hurricane, of course, in 76 and <laughs> then the place is just abandoned. So not great at this point, but just when the sea is deemed toxic by new stations nationwide in steps, an unlikely hero. Hey Riley, you ever heard of Congressman Sonny Bono? That name sounds familiar. I know <laughs> of Maybe. Sonny and of Sonny and Cher fame, perhaps. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, did you know he was, he was a congressman? Congress- he was a California congressman in the in the later half of his life. No, yeah. I did not know. No, you did not know that. Yeah, Sonny, what? Yep, Sonny Bono was a California congressman, and he was a fierce advocate for remediation of the Salton Sea prior to his death in 1998. As an aside, he died in a skiing accident. So. Yeah, unfortunately. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So, shortly after his death, President Bill Clinton passed the Salton Sea Reclamation Act, and as a result of this, it seemed logical to divert water away from the Salton Sea and clean up any remaining dead animals in order to protect any threatened migratory bird species from disease or poisoning. This started in the late 90s and continued well into the 2000s. And as the Salton Sea shrank, it then became saltier than the ocean. So that's where we kind of answered your question previously. Mm-hmm. So at its full volume, it was more brackish. And then as it, you know, I'm sure you understand, as it shrank, it just became more concentrated yeah. and concentrated. Do people still live by the Salton Sea? Yeah. Yep. There are some diehards that still live around the area. As you can imagine, not a lot, but there are some. Salthead. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Now, yeah, so fast forwarding a little bit to 2007, a massive restoration act was proposed by the state of California that would have allocated $8.9 billion to restore the area's ecosystem in hopes of benefiting native wildlife. But was there anything that happened in 2008, Riley, that would have have put a stop to any economic progress? Housing market. 
Yeah, the Great Recession of 2008 put a swift end yeah. to that massive proposal. So the Sultan Sea did not receive $8.9 billion in support. And as the sea continued to dry and the exposed sediment dried, the dust that was kicked up and blown towards far-off cities was later found to be incredibly harmful and essentially toxic. Imperial County, California became known nationwide for its terrible air quality. Over 20% of the children in Imperial County were diagnosed with asthma, which is twice the national average. This led to towns implementing a color-coded system to warn citizens of the day's air quality, similar to the fire danger system used by the National Forest Service. So imagine stepping outside. Before you step outside, you have to check the newspaper or just kind of, you know, you got you to you walk downtown to see whether or not you can actually go outside for the day. So these problems, though, were not limited to children as rates of adult asthma, cardiac disease, and lung cancer all spiked during the late 2000s. In one extreme case in 2012, the toxic dust and awful odor originating from the Salted Sea could be detected more than 150 miles away near Los Angeles. And like I said, nothing, like, this is what's kind of maybe frustrating from an outside perspective, is that nothing is really being done during this point. There's a ton of advocacy groups that are just kind of, trying to get word out and a lot of politicians were just kind of acknowledging that it was a problem and that they're going to try to fix it but there wasn't really anything going towards it at this point wow yeah that's crazy yep and drain it drain it well (laughs) that's the problem was if you do drain it then you have all that toxic dust right so in an effort to mitigate the kick up of the toxic dust imperial county came to an agreement with san diego county who had been receiving the diverted water that was flowing into the Salton Sea. The agreement required the water board to divert a certain amount of water into the sea to cover up the toxic lake bed and prevent the dust from becoming airborne. So at that point, their idea was like, well, let's at least keep the problem at the salt of the sea. We can hopefully try to remediate it for any migratory species later. But at this point, we just need to keep this, this dust from killing people. And this agreement, though, did not come without any major consequences, as you can imagine, with such a massive amount of water being pumped into the Salton Sea and essentially wasted in order to keep it filled. Agriculture in the area was dialed back, and any remaining farmers needed to transition to more drought-tolerant species that are also slightly less profitable, such as alfalfa grass. Now, more recently... On January 1st of 2018, the Salton Sea Mitigation Agreement that kept the water flowing into the lake to prevent it from drying out expired, and 40% of the water intended to flow into the sea was diverted back to San Diego County. So that agreement between San Diego County and Imperial County had a kind of expiration date on it, and that expiration date was the end of 2017. So once 2018 rolled around, there wasn't any new agreement or you know, anything to really improve the situation. So everything just kind of started flowing back to San Diego County. As you can imagine, though, this was met with, out, I mean, absolute outrage and concern by citizens in Southern California. But the decision was later upheld in a California court that required the Imperial County Water Board to end the program. Now, the original article I used for a lot of this, it made mention of the court order, but it didn't have any mention for the reasoning behind the court order. So I tried to do some digging. I couldn't really find anything, but if anyone has any any information on that, please reach out to us. So that all brings us to today, or pretty close to today, where the Salton Sea is set to shrink to 40% of its original volume and triple its salinity again by 2030. 
all while continuing to expose Southern California to toxic airborne dust. There have been incremental steps towards remediation, like a 2020 effort by the California Natural Resources Agency that restored 112 acres to prevent dust becoming airborne, or about 0.175 square miles. Again, incremental progress, but still progress. A more serious project included a $206 million effort to construct ponds and wetlands near the inlet of the sea, which will drastically reduce the amount of new pollutants entering the lake. And that started in 2021, and I believe it's supposed to, I think it's a five-year program. So that's, again, incremental progress. And that's pretty much all I have for today. So I hope everyone understands why reading the stories about the Great Salt Lake, which is an area teeming with resorts, valuable tourism, and a booming economy of its own that is slowly receding and releasing harmful dust into the air, reminded me a lot of the Salton Sea. And if anyone has another hour to kill and you want to see the Salton Sea look like at its peak and what it's become, you could watch the documentary titled Plagues and Pleasures of the Salton Sea, which is the same one my undergrad professor had us watch. So it's really interesting. So that's one of the only reasons I know there are still some hardcore people that live around the sea is they interview people that still live there and they tell stories of what it was like back in its heyday. And it's it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Toxic dust. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like a super fun site, right? Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Because, I mean, I guess what's what's the definition of a super fun site? Because, I mean, can you consider it like anthropogenic pollution? It's not, I mean, it is toxic for sure. It's definitely harmful. I mean, it's borderline an environmental catastrophe. Yeah. The the actual definition of a super fun site like, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% on. Just mm-hmm. like, it, it's so bad that it requires, first off, a lot of money, but then like mm-hmm. just those remediation efforts. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if it's anthropogenic, well, yeah. Hmm. I don't know either. I mean, this is, and like I said, this is almost like the Salton Sea. It's like a little foreshadowing to the Great Salt Lake. And it's, I don't know, it's eerily similar how these kind of two situations are playing out. I mean, the Great Salt Lake isn't nearly as popular as. The Salton Sea wasn't its heyday, but I mean, it has its own tourism. It's got a whole city based around it, right? And it's we're kind of just starting to see the signs of some toxic dust getting kicked up and the problems that that, that can arise from that. But I've never seen the Great Salt Lake, and uh, I feel like I should go see it. So I went to um, Juneau one time, Juneau, Alaska, and mm-hmm. we saw some glaciers. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like interesting to see it because they might be there at some point in the future. It's Salt Lakes, it's one of those environmental trips to go see before it's uh, it's gone. Yeah. To think about. Yeah. I mean, it might, it might yeah. not be there anymore, right? <laughs> so that's that's a little frightening to, yeah. to think about. But yeah, hopefully hopefully they figure it out. Hopefully Utah kind of hunkers down a little bit and diverts some resources to it. But, you know, sorry to end it on a sad note, but that's all I got mm-hmm. for it today. But if you yeah, want to read. Pulling a me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to read more about this, uh, feel free to go over. We, we've transitioned everything over to an app called Substack. So it's freshwaterperspectives.substack.com. And this article will be titled, The Decline of Great Salty Lakes. So that's all I got, Riley. See you later. Okay, see you, Matt. <laughs>